this week, as we continue our examination of parables of Jesus, we come to this parable that uh, everyone thinks they know, but sometimes we're guilty of misquoting. The problem is, Jesus talks about the item in this parable on more than one occasion. And so what many people end up doing is equating one with the other. So we take the one and we say, well, that must be the same thing, and we, and we try to blend them together, and we call something a parable that was never meant to be a parable. So I'll grant that in the other instance of Jesus talking about a mustard seed is very similar, but it's not given in a parable. So in our text today, Jesus has just finished arguing with the religious leaders. So no surprise there. He was also always arguing with the religious leaders. He's been arguing about all the things that are going to happen. Um, he's healed a lady on the Sabbath day and broken the Sabbath, and they're so upset because you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath because when you heal on the Sabbath, you're breaking God's law. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. And then he embarrasses them. He says, don't you all, you know, when you have an ox or a donkey and you lead it to the water, don't you do that on the Sabbath? You're a hypocrite. And then he gets to this parable. And so, but this time he starts a little differently. He asks a question. So there in Luke 13, starting in verse 18, it says, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree. And the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through the entire mixture. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the best of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake and all God's people said. Amen. We come to this. This, this story, this parable, and we see some things here about the kingdom, some things that, that can really speak it into our lives and into our world as we, as we try to do things for God. Have, have you ever tried to, to do things for God or God has given you a vision and you just go, whoa, that's a little much. There's, there's too much there. I don't know how to do it. Well, the truth of the matter is, as we read about mustard seed, we see the kingdom beginnings are most times small. Most of the time, the beginning of kingdom things is small. Kingdom things don't really usually start out large. One thing we never see in Scripture is God beginning with a huge crowd. God never begins with a huge group. I mean, we never find that. The closest we had to that is when He comes back to pick up His people from Egypt. But if you remember, even in that story, He started small. Throughout Scripture, whenever God works, the things He begins, He begins small. In Genesis 1... God could have said, let me. And it would have been. He could have just stopped there. He could have said, create the world. And it could have been done. But when we read Genesis 1, that's not what he does. He says, let there be light. And then piece by piece and day by day, God builds his creation. God speaks his creation into existence. He started small. The beginning of Israel. He could have grabbed a kingdom that was already there, right? He could have grabbed any of them. The Amorites. He could have grabbed the Hittites. He could have grabbed the Philistines. He could have grabbed anybody. He could have grabbed a kingdom that was already there and said, this is my people. Instead, he chose Abram. And this one man 
who was already well beyond childbearing years, who was already aged, and he knew his life was pretty much over, and he said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he started very small. In the exile, they were in Egypt, and he could have just walked in and said, okay, all you Hebrews, there's more of you than there are Egyptians. Rise up. Do what you need to do. But he didn't. He chose Moses. And when he was born, he had his mama put him in a basket and he floated him down the Nile and he trained him up to be specifically what he needed him to be in that moment. He started small. Remember the story of Gideon? Gideon shows up with lots of men, this huge army, and God says, you got too many. And he whittles them down by about half. God says, you still got too many. And he whittles them down more. He takes him down to this little bitty couple hundred men and says, now go and take on those thousands of people. 300 people take on the rest of them. Remember Goliath? That great big giant who would come out every day, every day taunting the nation of Israel every day. And all of Israel's greatest champions would stand back and tremble in their boots and do nothing. What happened? A little boy. This small guy shows up and says, I'll do it. I'll take him on. Then there's this, this baby named Jesus. Do y'all remember him? Yes. He came. He could have stepped out of heaven. Can you imagine what the world would have been like if God would have said, okay, it's time, and he would have split the heavens and just stepped down on the earth? Because anything he wanted to do, what did he do? He took that baby and he put it inside a little girl. And she had that baby and she raised that baby and that baby was the Messiah. Even on the day of Pentecost, you had the people there in the upper room and lots of people were saved that day, but it started with about 30. It started with a small group in the upper room waiting. Kingdom beginnings are almost always small. They always start small. Jesus compares it to a mustard seed. A very, very small seed. He says, the kingdom of like a mustard seed, it begins small. You know, it's always been amazing to me that small churches usually have an inferiority complex about what they can accomplish. We have this inferiority, but um, we're just so-and-so. We start saying, we can only pay this much. We can only do this little. We can only help these few. Small churches sometimes feel like they'll never be able to accomplish enough because of their size. But according to Jesus, kingdom beginnings are supposed to be small. Kingdom beginnings start. That's how he works in the smallest. To say that we can't do something because we're too small flies in the face of over 6,000 years of recorded biblical history. You know what the biggest trend in large churches is today? Small groups. <laughs> small groups. Essentially, larger churches are trying to tap into the one thing a smaller church already has. Small groups. Groups where you can bond. Groups where you can gel. You know, we just watched a video of a group of kids, a small group of kids who went to camp together and bonded this week. Didn't have to have a huge group of kids. I, I, I've seen big churches who, who rent huge Greyhound buses and take five buses to church camp. And they come back and the kids are excited but they have one or two friends they make. But in a small church, you come back and you can have a group. You can have that smaller beginnings. Kingdom beginnings are almost always small. And Zechariah 4.10, it 
It says, do not despise the day of small things, because God rejoices in the beginning of work. There's a reason why we shouldn't just try something out in church. And then give up on it after a few weeks, because, well, I haven't seen the results that I want to see. How have we seen that happen? Maybe in our church, maybe in other churches. We're just going to try this out for a couple of weeks. We're going to see how it works. And if it doesn't do what we want it to do in the first four or five weeks, then we're going to give up on it because there's no way it could be what God wants to happen. It's no way. You know, we should, we should rejoice in the beginning of a small thing because it started as God wanted to start. If we started a program and 600 people show up the first day, where do you go from there? I mean, if we live in Lafayette, Texas, what's our population? I don't even know anymore. About 500? 600? A little bit higher, a little bit lower, I don't know. Y'all are all looking at me just blankly staring, so. Uh, you know, what's the population? If 600 people start and administer with us, where do you go from there? How do you grow? What else can happen? You know, in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, thousands of people would come to know Jesus because thousands of people were going to come back. They were in Jerusalem. They were always going to be an influx of people. And so that big event was an amazing thing, but it started small. How often do we find that? I know Carrie at times in our marriage, in our, our marriage, in our ministry, because it's both, because she's married to me, it has to be a minister. Um, there are times where she has stepped up because she's felt called to teach a children's class. And she would start with sometimes one, sometimes two. And there were times she would come home and she'd be frustrated. I don't know what else to do, and I would say, just be faithful. Be faithful to what God gave you, because God will grow what God's going to grow. And God's going to do what God's going to do. Kingdom beginnings should be small. You know, when, when you're committed to doing something because you had too many people at once, it becomes a chore, right? You know, there, there are things that we do after time that we do because, well, we stepped off in it and we just started doing it. There was a time... Most of y'all might, might groan about this. There was a time that I didn't do notes like this for service. I just preached. And then one day, I was doing a series that was very in-depth. And I had to give notes. And people said, we really like the notes. And then I was stuck. <laughs> I've learned to enjoy it now because it gives me a way to go. But I, I found myself in that situation. And the thing is, things start small. But the truth is, when you read this parable, the beginning size of the kingdom is not the same as its completed size. The man takes the mustard seed, plants it in his garden, and it becomes a tree. It becomes this big thing that people can see from afar. The result of the seed is nowhere near the size of the seed. The beginning of a thing does not define the end of a thing. Jesus began the kingdom work by choosing 12 men. 12. In all of Israel, he chose 12 people. I don't know what percentage that is, but it's pretty low. He didn't go in and say, I'm going to take all the priests and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. He didn't even go in and say, I'm going to take this one town and I'm going to make all of them do what I'm going to do. He walked in and he chose 12 people to do the work. And the church grew on Pentecost. Eleven of those, twelve, Judas went the way of Satan. With a handful of other people, 
got the gift of the Holy Spirit and they walked out into the streets speaking in tongues that they never heard before. They never spoken before. Can you imagine that? how that must have felt? What must have been going through their minds? The boldness it took to follow through when God did that? I mean, if I got up here this morning and I just started talking and it came out in German, I would probably go back in the back. Because y'all be looking at me funny, right? Anybody watch Doctor Who? I know you do, son, but Doctor Who drives his TARDIS, well, he flies his TARDIS, or he whatever, however he does. But the TARDIS has a language acquisition program that feeds into anybody who's been riding it. So anything that any language has been spoken, they hear in their language, and anything they say comes out in another language. And so that's how they explain how we can understand all the languages in English. So, but that's how it's supposed to work. But that day on Pentecost, these people walked down and they began speaking in these languages they had never heard. And then there was one guy by the name of Peter, who just a few days before, about a month or so before, had literally said, I don't even know who Jesus is. I never knew him. And that day he stood up and he said, Well, men of Jerusalem, you think we're drunk or not? We had the Holy Spirit because Jesus, the one you crucified, what? He wouldn't even claim Jesus a month ago, but now he's boldly proclaiming. 3,000 people were saved because of that one man preaching that. 3,000 people. From there, the gospel spread throughout the world. You know who William Carey is? William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. And in 1793, he, a colleague, and his family set out for India to mission work. Back then, when you left, you took a box about the size of this table. A little longer, though, because it was going to be your casket, too. Because you weren't coming back. You packed everything you had into a box, and you went. And he went, and along the way, he lost a wife, and he got married again, and he lost another wife, I think. He lost his friends. And they got there with all these expectations and they labored there for the gospel alone for seven years before they had a single convert. And from that one man, from the start of two Hindu converts, the missions movement started. And today we have the cooperative program. Small beginnings. Jesus knew the kingdom was starting small, but he never expected it to stay small. He knew it was going to be small. He picked 12 people. But he didn't think it was going to stay small. He didn't expect them to go and hide out somewhere by the other and stay there. When he came on Pentecost, he said, go, be my witnesses, make disciples. He expected his followers to do as he commanded. He expected them to follow through. Go into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and teaching them to obey me. Kingdom was not and is not meant to be a small piece of this world. It's meant to be a growing force inside fallen. Just because something starts small doesn't mean it'll stay small. But you know, the kingdom of heaven grows with a purpose. I love the end of the parable of the mustard seed. It grew, 
and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. It didn't grow just to sit there. It didn't grow just to look pretty. It grew so that the birds could nest in its branches. It's not an accident that Jesus said this. Jesus wasn't just being descriptive. I mean, sometimes some of us can tell stories. I'm not going to name any names. <clears throat> and we give a lot of detail. And some of those details are superfluous. They, they don't mean much. They're just extra. But when Jesus speaks, he doesn't give extra details. When Jesus speaks, he doesn't just say, well, you know, the sky that night was dark. Actually, it was a chartreuse. He doesn't do that. When Jesus speaks, his words matter. And so when Jesus says this, it's a definition of what the kingdom is supposed to be. When he says this, he's given an illustration of what we sometimes fail to make it. It says, the birds perch in the tree. Why do birds perch in trees? Safety? Rest? Shelter? Home? The kingdom of heaven is to grow and to be those things to a lost and dying world. Rest, shelter, safety, home. Let's be those things to the single parent juggling work and kids and life and all that entails. It's supposed to be that to the homeless, the hurting, the neglected, the outcast. It's supposed to be the shelter at home. It's supposed to be a place of safety where people can come and share their greatest fears without them having to be feel like they're going to be turned back. A place where a place where all sin is just sin. And God is big enough to wash it away. A place where it doesn't matter who you were yesterday. It doesn't matter who you were last week. It doesn't matter what's been going on in your life. It doesn't matter who your parents were or who your grandparents were or anything else. Because Jesus is big enough to take care of it. That's what the church is supposed to be. No matter where I, what I've done, no matter where I've been, that I'll find a hug, I'll find a handshake, and I'll find the love of a God so fierce that I know that I'm home. But so many people are afraid of the church because so often the church is that person or that group of people who looks at them and goes, I knew you as a boy. That was 30 years ago. I remember my mom and me having an argument one time. One of the many times. Because she was told that I just never cleaned my house. I said, Mama, that's a lie. She said, I knew I know you when you were a teenager. I said, Mama, that was 15 years ago. That was 15 years ago. I'm a different person now. The kingdom is supposed to be a place where people can come and feel safe and say, you know what? I'm struggling. They need to be able to come in and say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. It's supposed to be a place where you don't go it alone. Do you know why so many people fall into their sin and stay there? Because they feel alone. Because they're afraid if they tell anybody they're struggling with it, that they're going to tell somebody else. Or that they're going to look at them and say, I don't know how many people in my life 
time, adult friends will say to me, well, when I get my life together, I'm going to go to church. What? You don't get your life together and then go to church. You go to church to get your life together. You go to church so that someone can walk with you through the greatest battles of your life. I need everybody in this room to know that my phone is beside me 24 hours a day. And if you're struggling, I don't care what it's with, I will answer the phone and talk you through it. You don't have to walk alone. There's no judgment. I'm the chief of sinners. I have fallen more times than I know how to get back up. But I just crawl and I hold on to the cross and Jesus picks me up. Maybe your battle's raising kids. You know, that's hard sometimes. Sometimes your kids you pray over because you're afraid the devil has taken control. Get me behind me, Satan. Come out of there. And we're afraid to say that because I can't be the mom who doesn't have control of her kids. It takes a village. Guess what? Sometimes they won't listen to you, but they'll listen to somebody else. You need to know that you can walk through that. How about paying the bills? In every church I've ever been in, we have had some kind of benevolence fund. And no matter how hard the church members had it, they never come and ask for help. And I've been in some churches where the only people really in the church were old widow ladies living on Social Security. And they had absolutely no way to make their ends meet. But you know what they did? Man, they would take their money and buy groceries for somebody else. And I would watch them struggle. I would watch them struggle and never ask for help because, well, I can't be the one who can't make the ends meet. And there are a lot of us who can't understand addiction. We don't understand it. We don't get it. Right? Some of us don't. I do. I... I, I I don't do a lot of games because sometimes I can be addicted to competition. I can be addicted to having to fish. Uh, you know, my son is addicted to video games right now. I understand that because I could be, because I because I would sit down and play all day long, but I know that there's more to life than that. And so I stop. The kingdom of heaven is where like-minded sinners saved by grace walk with each other through the trials of life. I don't know if any of you looked at the webpage in the past couple of weeks. I updated the landing page. It now says, we're going to use the word sinners or people, but imperfect people serving a perfect sin. Because that's who we are. We're not perfect. The kingdom of heaven is supposed to be a place where you find love and acceptance. We're struggling with sin is okay. As long as you're struggling. There's the key. As long as you're struggling with 
your sin. Not embracing it. Not wanting me to tell you your sin is okay. But saying, you know what? I struggle with this. I need your help. I need you to walk me through this. Forgiveness for failure should be found openly and lovingly. Where accountability is found in people we call on when we might fall. The kingdom of heaven is to be a place where we find life. A new life that can't be taken away. An everlasting life that looks beyond tomorrow. A full life that pales in comparison to the world around me. Did you know that people think that Christians can't have fun? Um, okay. I have fun. I like to laugh. I like to spend time with people. I like to do things that, 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 that I would consider relationship building. Maybe my definition of fun doesn't job with the world's definition of fun. Because the world has a tendency to want to redefine everything right now. We're redefining everything. I mean, you know, maybe tomorrow this could be called a squidget. I don't know. It's a remote control right now, but we're redefining everything. I had a discussion on Facebook this week with somebody about a post that a youth pastor posted about modesty. Not our youth pastor. Or he'd be modest. We'd be happy to talk. He was apologizing for asking girls to be modest and cover up when they came to events because that was shaming them and, and forcing them to feel like objects. And I'm going, they're, they're, he's deluded. He's, he's fallen into this trap that the world has now said, the world has now said that white men dominated the culture for too long, and that's part of the white male patriarchy, and so you shouldn't have to do that. Men should just, just pluck their eyes out. But that's half of what the Bible says. The Bible says I'm responsible for my sin, but the Bible also says I'm responsible for you. Not to make you stumble. That I'm the bear with the weaker brother. And I'll tell you something about teenage boys and probably adult men. We're usually the weaker brother when it comes to things like that. All asking for modesty does is acknowledge our weakness. Is acknowledge the fact that, that men tend to be weak and we need to work on that. Instead of lambasting people who think we need to be modest, maybe we should walk with them. Maybe we should embrace that. Did you know that all the men in my family wear a shirt every time we go swimming? Daddy's fat. That might be part of it. We're gingers, so we burn. But part of that is, I don't want my son to be able to do things my daughter can't do. I want him to know that modesty for him is just as important as modesty. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed. He had a man planted in his garden, and it grew into a tree that the birds of the air perched. And though it started small, it became the biggest of garden plants. And it, and it fulfills a function to those seeking its shade. 
But the other part of the thing is, I don't have a thing up there for it, but the other part is this. It's like yeast. It's worked in the flour. You ever baked bread? Carrie's baked bread. She used to bake bread more often, and then we had kids. <laughs> kids, uh, you know, kids are kids are a blessing, but sometimes it's harder to do things with kids underneath. I don't know how the Waltons did it. I didn't know what <laughs> That little bit of yeast, it doesn't take a lot. But it works through everything. You know, <laughs> I don't usually quote the Beatles in my sermons. But they were right at least one time. All you need is love. And a little bit of that, a little bit of the love of Jesus will work through everything. Maybe this morning you have been struggling with an inferiority complex. You've been thinking, I need bigger and better things. You've been thinking, I need, I, I, I'm not fulfilling my function, so I need to figure out what that is. And, or maybe it's like, I don't know how to do this. Or maybe you've been trying to figure out what you need to do. You know what? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts small. But the mustard seed has to be planted. It has to be planted because if it's not there, it's never going to grow. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with inferiority with inside yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not big enough. God didn't ask you to be good enough or big enough. He asked you to trust Him. He asked you to walk with Him. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never taken a step to, to make Him your Savior. It's not hard, but it's a commitment that lasts the rest of your life. But you just walk down and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. Maybe this morning, maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to tell everybody about it. Come down and tell us about it. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Just pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.